0: hey everyone this is Eric Jones better known as turf teacher today we are looking at managing risk it is chapter 4 in your NAS CLA landscape contractors guide to business law and project management it is uh, for the North Carolina landscape contractors licensing board it is the first edition and it is the manual one of three manuals that they recommend to study prior to sitting for the North Carolina landscape contractors licensing examination and chapter 4 very very good chapter it is talking about basically managing your risk and and to start off with this is an eye opener this is a issue that young entrepreneurs and young business owners kind of just push to the side and then one day something happens and they realize they should have been um, implementing risk management by having insurance by covering themselves and protecting their property, by protecting their employees. A lot of times it takes something bad happening before people realize that. And guys, I'm here to tell you straight up, if you are an entrepreneur, if you are a business owner, you must have insurance in place. Now I've had somebody with a master's degree ask me, Eric, do we honestly have to have workers' compensation to work as a landscaper on somebody's property? and i'm like absolutely do you that's something they don't they don't teach you in the science classes guys it's easy to go out and learn how to plant a plant but the only way you're going to learn how to run a business is to actually jump in and run the business and that's scary that's scary they don't teach you that in school they teach you how to be an employee versus on how to run a business and that's what i'm here to do i want to help you guys run your business. And even if you decide not to become a self-employed green industry professional and you're working for somebody, it's good for you to know the heartaches and the headaches that a business owner has to go through to make sure that the business is up and running and that the business is protected. Managing risk. Guys, and I'm sorry, if you're a one man or a one woman operator, you are not a business owner and just because you have to take your name off your truck to prevent somebody else from calling you because you have another full-time job and you're only doing this part-time, you are not a business owner. This lecture isn't for you because you're not gonna be doing enough stuff out there to even take a risk. This is for the individual who is hiring employees, building a business, and actually going after work, not letting it just come in freely and accept what you want to accept. That's a hobby. I'm talking about business owners straight up. So don't come to me with your stuff about, Oh, I've got more work than I can handle. Well, it's just you, yourself, and I, of course, of course you can be busy in the green industry if you're the only one working for your company. And trust me, if you're a sole proprietor, don't come at me saying, Hey, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a business owner, you know, man up, woman up and become that business owner or Be that number two, be that number three in the company, and understand where your employer is coming from. Because, guys, being a business owner is like being a parent. And sometimes I think being a business owner is harder than being a parent. Because you can pack your kids up and take with you. You can go out to eat with your kids. Your company kind of stays where it's at. But as a business owner, you worry and you get frustrated and you're always wondering, how am I gonna make payroll? You know, I've got $100,000 owed to me. I've got insurance premiums that are due this Friday. What am I going to do? You lay up at night, you worry, and you do everything you can to keep the business afloat until one day you wake up and all of a sudden, it's all in place with hard work. And I've always said this, making the first million in your business is the hardest. The second, the third, and the fourth become easier because by the time you're doing a million dollars in sales in your landscape company, you've got things implemented and in place, procedures and policies that you're following, and it's easy just to replicate that. So that should be your goal, and if it's not, I completely understand, but be that best employee and understand where your employer's coming from and understand that, hey, your boss one day might not be in the best of mood because he's probably setting up or she's setting up at night wondering how she's going to make payroll the next day. And so they didn't get that $150,000 that's owed to them. The builders held it back another week. So they're having to go to the bank on Friday morning to get a loan against their accounts receivable so they can make payroll. I've done it. I've been there, but I absolutely love it. And I don't see myself doing anything else but that except teaching people how and why they should run their own business so let's get started with managing risk Um, risk management unmanaged risk can harm your business resulting in financial loss when it hurts the wallet or pocketbook it also breaks your heart it can lower your profit margins and unnecessary liabilities guys Simple measures that you can implement will help reduce accidents, you know, and your insurance companies will help you set that up. They'll come out and teach you how to, um, you know, correctly get on a ladder, correctly buckle up when you're in a lift, if you're doing some tree pruning. They will help you do all of that because they don't want to see your employees get hurt because then they've got to pay the pre, they've got to, they've got to, uh, to pay the, um, uh, claims that you filed against them. All they want, they want your premiums with no accidents. And to be honest, that's what we all want. And so when, when we're talking about risk management, some of the benefits would be it lowers your business and liability insurance premiums. Liability insurance is a must. It's just like workers comp. If you make a, you know, a mistake on the job, you know, the tractor bumps into the corner of the house and knocks some of the siding off, you need the liability insurance to help you take care of that. It can reduce your chances of being sued, and it can also improve your chances of prevailing in a lawsuit because your insurance company is gonna go to bat for you. If you're gonna be sued, they're gonna be right there with you because they don't wanna pay, they don't wanna pay the claims. And if they can find out that you were in the right and it wasn't your fault they're going to be there for you but if it is legitimate your fault you've paid the premiums they're going to cover you yes those premiums are going to probably go up but it's just it's just the cost of doing business and so insurance while some risks can be minimized others are uncontrollable there's going to be accidents happen you're going to have employees wreck one of your uh, your company vehicles it's it's, it's just gonna happen guys um, And insurance is a way to implement your risk management program to protect your business against unforeseen events such as though accidents and theft. Guys, last year we probably had almost $5,000 worth of weed eaters and blowers stolen off of our trucks at various job sites. Now, we did go to Green Touch Industries and we have implemented the, um, the, um, the lockable weed eater racks, the lockable blower racks, the lockable sprayer racks, the lockable uh, sure can gas can, um, uh, you know the storage the the holders that hold our gas cans they're all lockable, and we haven't had we haven't had any theft for that. So I highly recommend you guys looking at at um, uh, at those uh, lockable racks, uh, trailerracks.com. Uh, take a look at them. Green Touch Industries, great group of people, and uh, you know they're they're there to um, um, to help you manage your risk on your landscape company because let me tell you something if you go to your insurance company and you try to tell them hey i have have, on three different occasions in one year that you've had blowers and weed eaters stolen man, your premiums are just going to go up that you're going to say no i'll just go and replace it out of pocket and nobody wants to do that nobody wants to replace weed eaters and blowers three or four times a year but when you set them in the back of your truck or just lay them in the back of a trailer it's gonna happen and even guys with enclosed trailers they low the they lay the ramp down and they're on the mower and they go to the backyard to mow that's when their blowers inside the trailer get stolen there's people out in these neighborhoods looking for landscapers to steal their stuff so have insurance to protect you have the equipment to protect the equipment that you have and so what is insurance insurance is a protective measure in which coverage is obtained for a specific risk or set of risks uh, through a contract, and that contract is called your policy. Now, um, in this policy, it's gonna name one party that's gonna protect the, other, uh, the other's risk, and that first party is going to collect premiums um, to actually almost you know, guarantee um, protection from loss, or anything incurred uh, by any course of action um, and so you need to choose your insurance company you need to choose whether or not you want to go with a agent that only works for one company or do you want to hire an independent agent that can actually shop out your premiums guys I'm going to tell you up front, I, uh, I like using one insurance company. Now, yes, I may have some different stuff for my personal, but when it comes to business, and then sometimes they may want to have your personal. They, they, they want to insure it all, and that's okay. But we use Farm Bureau for the landscape stuff. I'm going to use um, Farm Bureau for my workers' comp and my general liability. That's, I just like that. I like being able to pick up the phone, talk, to uh, my insurance agent, you know, one-on-one, I don't want to have to wait in line, I don't want to have to be put on hold for the next available operator at some of the larger uh, independent firms that shop it out. I want to be able to pick up and call or have my insurance agent's cell phone. And when I, when I was a home builder, uh, you know, years ago, uh, I used Farm Bureau for everything, every, every single thing I had. Every single thing I had: builder's risk, general liability, workers' comp, my personal home, my vehicle insurance. There's no telling how many thousands of dollars I give them per month to cover my stuff. But it was a, it it was a it was a good relationship that I had with uh, my insurance agent, uh, John Scarborough. I'll never forget him. Uh, he's moved on to better and bigger things right now. But, uh, you know, he took good care of me, and I'll always, uh, always uh, appreciate that and, and uh, always think good thoughts of him. Um, at a minimum, your policy is going to list the policy's terms, coverage, premiums, and deductibles. And so find that right agent. Find that right company that you would need. And the law may require you to uh, carry a certain level of coverage, such as such as workers' compensation, unemployment, and vehicle insurance. The three main things that you're going to have to have right there. Um, And a a lot more, to be honest with you guys. And so this really right here is going to separate the ones who who really want to run their own business and the ones who do not because, guys, it is a headache. Uh, Premium payments come around uh, even in the wintertime when you're not doing so much work. Um, And so it's a big thing and so let's go ahead and start talking about property insurance um, things that you may want to cover uh, in your business um, you know it can be damage, theft or even loss you can buy property insurance to co- to cover specific risks such as fire or theft or you can even uh, get a broader policy that's going to include vandalism fire theft and even acts of God such as lightning because uh, you never know when things like this are gonna happen but uh definitely things that you want to do would be your buildings, other structures, your furniture, your equipment, uh your supplies, you know, you may have a warehouse full of fertilizer and seed or even plant materials on the stockyard. Inventory, machinery, computers, intellectual property, especially if you've bought like a franchise and you've got the manuals on how you're supposed to run the business, your automobiles, your trucks, your construction equipment, and then intangible property such as goodwill and trademarks. And then especially even leased Uh, equipment that you have and so guys you really need to um, have the property insurance and that's something that a lot of individuals uh, do not have your all risk builders risk insurance now this is something that um, we may not need as a landscape contractor but it is a form of property insurance that covers property owners and builders for buildings under construction and so this type of insurance typically covers machinery, equipment, materials, supplies, and fixtures that are part of the structure or will become part of the structure. And so, yes, maybe if we're doing an outdoor kitchen, we would definitely want this, um, you know, large trees, possibly, yeah. Um, but it, it's going to be the, the, the individual or the company that is actually building something. It's, it's definitely not going to be for uh, the management um, contractor that we have that uh, we see in the green industry a lot but definitely uh, I would I would consider having this if I'm doing outdoor kitchens and I'm having grills brick stone stone work all that delivered to job sites and if uh, you don't install it or plan it or build it that day and it's left on the property um, you know for weeks at a time um, you would definitely probably want to cover it with um, the all risk builders risk um, named peril builders risk insurance policies, they have narrow coverage than the all risk insurance and specify what perils are covered. Uh, you know, maybe wind damage, explosion, water damage, even terrorism or an earthquake um, could be something that you add for that. Now. Now I've heard my dad speak of this time and time again, Inland Marine. I hear dad talk about Inland Marine all the time or equipment theft insurance. Um, Inland Marine insurance is a type of property insurance that you can purchase for your tools and equipment. Provides coverage for goods in transit and projects under construction. So um, um, and even what it says here in your, in your text, the cost of the insurance may be more than the cost of putting preventative measures in place uh, to deter theft. Hence, our weed eaters. You know, we lost about $5,000 last year in new weed eaters and new blowers. Um, and we, we, you know, we have no one else to blame but ourselves. It's not our employee's fault, it's uh, nobody's fault but our own. Uh, now we do have the, um, you know, the trailer racks.com, the Green, uh, green, touch, uh, uh, green touch Industries, products that lock our equipment uh, on our outside trailers and they have them for the inside trailers because uh, people get stuff stolen all the time out of an enclosed trailer when they lower the ramp down nobody wants to unload the mower lock the trailer back up when they have to go mow in the back so they've just got their weed eaters and stuff hanging on the wall inside guys you've got to secure them they will walk Um, they are you know individuals that are driving through these neighborhoods looking for a quick buck and it's nothing to walk up to a landscaper's truck and, and, and grab a new 450 or 350 dollar weed eater or blower and throw it in their vehicle and uh, take it to the pawn shop uh, equipment floater policy uh, is a type of inland marine insurance coverage for equipment is available on all risk or specified peril basis The coverage provided is for direct physical loss to the equipment and is designed to cover mobile equipment while it is stored on premises, in transit or at temporary locations or job sites. Um, Transportation floater, motor transport or motor truck cargo insurance. um, This is going to cover um, any damage that occurs during freight, um, you know, transporting the freight to and from job sites. So probably something, You know nurseries may want to have it um you know if they're hauling plants to a job site for a contractor over you know several several hundred miles or something but uh, uh, probably something that we're not going to have as a landscape contractor Um, liability insurance is designed to protect against third-party claims that arise from alleged negligence resulting in bodily injury or property damage now Just like I talked about earlier, you you back the skid steer into the corner of the house, your liability insurance is gonna take care of that for you. You pay for it um, when you have accidents because guys, it's gonna happen. Yeah, you want to reduce it as much as possible, but sometimes bad things just happen to good people. It's it's part of of life, it's a part of being a, a business owner. But your commercial general liability is what we would have. It offers basic coverage and covers four types of injuries. Bodily injury that results in actual physical damage or loss for individuals who are not employees. Damage or loss to property not belonging to the business. Personal injury including slander or damage to reputation. And then advertising injury including charges of negligence that result from promotion of goods and services. So definitely, definitely, uh, the first two is what we need it for. Uh, hopefully, we're not out there slandering or ruining a people's reputation. Um, and then a lot of times, you know, we're, we're not actually in the business of selling a good unless it is plant materials or doing some type of outdoor room or kitchen extensions uh, to a home. But most businesses in the landscape construction industry will need to supplement their commercial general liability policies with other types of insurance, such as vehicle insurance policy. And definitely we're gonna have that because we've got our trucks and our trailers on the road every single day. Umbrella uh, umbrella liability insurance can supplement um, your commercial general liability. This policy will provide additional coverage in the areas that are not covered in the commercial general liability policy. It takes effect once a certain deductible or self-insured retention level is met. And it can also be customized to meet your specific needs. Uh, Other types of liability insurance, contractual liability provides contractors with protection for damage that result from their negligence while underwritten contract. Uh, Completed operations liability insurance provides coverage for loss arising out of completed projects. Contractors' protective public and property liability insurance protects the contractors who supervise and subsequently are held liable for actions of subcontractors from claims for personal injury and property damage. Personal liability insurance, sometimes called errors and admissions. Hey, if you're doing design work, you're gonna have this. Landscape architects, civil engineers have uh, errors and admissions. It protects the contractors from negligent resulting from errors or admissions of the designers and architects. Just what I said. And then construction wrap up. Uh, liability insurance bundles liability and workers compensation insurance for general contractors and subcontractors on large construction projects it helps eliminate gaps in coverage because you know workers comps only gonna pay so much and then your general liability is gonna pick up uh, when um, when when people um, if somebody gets hurt and you your workers comp is only gonna pay a certain amount then your, your general liability is going to help um, cover the rest of that. Uh, business owner policies or BOPs, they bundle property and liability coverage together. This type of coverage can eliminate gaps or overlaps between separate property and liability policies. Uh, small and mid-sized companies usually qualify for this type of policy and it's all based on your assets. And guys, this is why I like, uh, working with one insurance company because that agent can help you kind of combine what you need and what you don't need. Um, when you're going back and forth, you know, I'm dual covered even on my health insurance. Sometimes, you know, having having Tricare because I'm retired Army, uh, you know, gets in the way of what I get insurance from the state. You know, the state blue cross policy is my primary and then tricare picks up the difference but sometimes they kind of can argue back and forth on who pays what or what's uh you know who's the the responsible insurance company on certain things and so um having that one policy or that one insurance company would help in situations like that automobile insurance guys we know what that is um you've got to have it on your vehicles going out there if you're paying mileage to your employees you need to see that they have their vehicle insurance because if they're conducting business for you and they put a magnetic sign on their door or have a sticker on there and they're conducting business during normal business hours and they have an, uh, an accident you need to make sure that they're covered burglary and theft um this type of insurance, guys, it's not going to cover employees' acts. It's going to be if, you know, somebody breaks into your shop and, and, and gets you. A fidelity bond or employee theft insurance would cover criminal acts of burglary and theft by your employees. And, guys, nine times out of ten, if you lose stuff from the shop, it's going to be from your employees. So you got to make them accountable for it. There needs to be a location and spot every piece of equipment that you own that they know to put it back when they use it at the end of the day and you need to know who has it on every day that it's out working check them in check them out kind of thing keyman life insurance it's it's basically a life insurance policy uh, or disability insurance or it can be both now I know you've heard me talk about my vet you know he was in business with another vet you know, one was focusing on small animals, the other one was focus, uh, focusing on large animals. Well, his partner died. And so um, they built a pretty big veterinary business together. You know, and you can do that. You know, you have two hardworking professionals, you can build something like that. Well, his partner died, got sick and died. Um, you know, sad situation. But they had to have, um, and they were lucky enough that they had key man life insurance uh, or business life, uh, insurance it's sometimes called, so that he could pay off his partner's family, which was, you know, their property as well. I mean, her husband had put all that hard work into it. Um, It's not her fault that she passed away, but she's entitled to his half of the business. Well, the life insurance policy paid paid her off for that. That way my vet could keep the, the business going. If not, he said they would have had to sold the business, divide the assets to pay her off. Well, him and his partner knew that they had to have something like that in place because it was, you know, two, two business owners together that it, um, you know, they had to take care of each other if something happened to the other one. Um, now let's jump right into this workers' compensation insurance. Eric, do we need to have that as landscapers on people's properties? Well, technically, yes. If you have three or more um, employees you are required by law to have it. Ladies and gentlemen, I will be the first to tell you if I have one employee working for me, I'm going to have workers compensation because what if the individual who has to take his lettering off of his vehicle has a part-time person helping them on the job site that day. And for some reason, they cut their fingers um, with the set of loppers. I've seen it happen. Some of the most experienced people can get carried away and actually um, have an accident like that. I've seen guys get their fingers caught in hedge clippers. I've seen guys get their hands caught in a blower rack uh, on a walker mower that is actually a vacuum which cuts the tips of the fingers off. I've seen it all. It happens to the best of us. And so, What if the individual with just one employee has something like that happen? You know, the employee's not responsible for it. They can't take them to the hospital and say, use your own personal health insurance. No, workers' comp is to cover that. And if you don't have workers' comp, guess what? You as the one person business owner is going to pay that hospital bill. Now, my former brother-in-law, when i built my brother's house uh my brother-in-law actually framed it for us um, he was up in the attic he had an employee with him up in the attic they were getting ready to frame the roof trusses and this house was built on a basement so he's about three stories up he had a worker fall from that third story through uh, Parts of the house. He actually landed in the basement on the cement floor. He broke several bones, and the ambulance had to come and get him, and everything. He was covered by workers' compensation. If he had not have had that, just imagine the hospital bill that that would incurred. I just took a seminar at the Green Industry, uh, well, the the Green and Grow Show this past January, and it was on insurance, and the average overnight stay in a hospital is almost $15,000. That's just to stay there. That's not including doctors, the tests, and everything that they run. I went to the emergency room because I I'd, I'd felt like I'd had another blood clot. And that scares me to death because that's, that's just, that's something I have to deal with every single day. When I get leg pains, I'm like, uh-oh. And my doctor told me, he said, "You better go to the emergency room and get a leg scan." I went back in September because I had some severe pain in my leg. It was, it was nothing. It was uh, it was uh, uh, just a what do you call it? False false alarm. Uh, but it cost me almost twelve thousand. You know, I'm still getting statements from my insurance company on what they paid out for it. The only thing I had to pay was I think 50 some dollars was even less than 50 uh, part of the uh, some type of test that they wanted me to have a copay on but guys think about that if you had an employee that got hurt and fell through rafters or if you're a landscape contractor and you cut fingers off think of the surgeries that that's gonna have to happen because I've seen it happen twice I've seen my cousin and a good friend of mine who is working for us stick their hands down in the walker blower it cuts the tips of the fingers off we collect the fingers and they get it back sewed on yeah they've got some nubs there but they're still able to have full use of their hand it happens I seen one of my dad's employees take a post post driver on the back of a three-point PTO on the tractor he left his hand on top of the cedar post and pulls it down his hand split into a hundred pieces and when he lifted the thing up he had he had his fingernails was two feet from his hand where it just split everything up um, so have the workers compensation have the workers compensation um, so three or more employees you're required to have it even if you're a sole proprietor or partnership or LLC you're required to carry it with three or more Um, the sole proprietors partners and managers and members of the LLC are not included in the headcount so that kind of you know if you're hiring two you still don't have to have it because as the sole proprietor you're not covered in it Um, in a corporation including the corporate officers they are included in the headcount and so hey I'm a C corporation it's just me so if I hired somebody else, I'm going to have it anyway. else. It's just me right now running the C corporation. But when somebody works for me full time and gets a payroll check, I'm going to have the workers' compensation. Subcontractors, subcontractors must also abide by this, um, this rule as well. Now, here's the thing. As a home builder, I was audited probably about every six months at least every year where they would come in and look at all the checks that i'd written to subcontractors and if i wrote a check on february 6 to a subcontractor i must have a certificate of insurance from that subcontractor stating that they were covered by general uh, general liability and workers compensation and if they didn't have it guess who had to pay it me so always make sure that if you're hiring subcontractors that they are covered uh, by those two insurance policies as well. Um, they have to provide compliance documentation regardless of whether the subcontractor employs fewer than three employees. And so, if I hired a subcontractor who is just a one person tile layer, they're just doing tile work, they still have to provide me with a certificate of coverage because I have workers' compensation and everybody that works for me has to be covered. Now, sometimes you can withhold 10% from their paycheck. I don't recommend doing that. That can get a little uh, iffy with the tax law. Uh, So guys, just make them get their own policy. As a builder, I had a workers' comp and general liabilities policy that covered just generic form. Like, it didn't cover anybody. Because I was an officer of the corporation, it it wasn't going to cover me anyway. And I, as a home builder, I didn't have any employees. I subcontracted out everything. I still had to pay $1,600 a year. So that was you know a little over 100 a month for that policy just so I could give my homeowners a certificate of insurance saying that I was covered. Now, me having that policy made sure that every single subcontractor that stepped foot on my job sites was covered. It would cover them in case their insurance had lapsed, or if they canceled their policy for some reason. But before they stepped foot on my job site, I'm like, I need a certificate of insurance. And they would provide it before they even stepped foot. And definitely when I wrote them the check, I need another certificate of insurance. And what I would do was call the insurance company and make sure that their policies were still in effect. And you can also add, uh, have your subcontractors add you as an additional insured to their policy. It's going to cost them about $15, uh, but they can provide you a certificate of insurance that states you as an an additional insured, and I recommend doing that. Um, Unemployment insurance. Now, this is the one thing that is going to uh, um, get you in trouble uh, just as quick as not paying payroll taxes. Uh, Unemployment insurance, guys, um, if you pay wages to employees totaling $1,500 or more in any quarter of a calendar year, you must have unemployment insurance. Or if they've had at least one employee during any day of the week during 20 weeks in a calendar year, regardless of whether or not the weeks were consecutive, you must pay unemployment insurance. Now, the North Carolina Employment Security Law establishes guidelines for the state unemployment tax. Business entities are subject to an unemployment payroll tax if they have one or more employees for 20 weeks during a calendar year or pay $1,500 in wages in any calendar quarter during a calendar year in North Carolina. Now, um, there's always the question of paying your employees as a subcontractor. It depends on the type of business. If they are using your equipment, driving your vehicles, showing up to your job sites, they're an employee but if they're working from home and they are using their equipment to do a job for you, they are considered a subcontractor. Social Security Insurance. The Social Security Administration uh, is a federal agency responsible for paying retirement disability and survivor's benefits to workers and their families. You are going to um, have to pay that uh, for employees that are legal to work in the United States. And that's all under Chapter 16, Tax Basics, uh, explains how to submit Social Security tax for employees. Now, insurance for subcontractors. Does the subcontractor carry the appropriate insurance? You better check it out and make sure. Determine what type of insurance is needed. Is the coverage adequate for the type of work being performed? And again, it depends on what they're doing. I mean, if they're coming to lay carpet, you know, the chances of them getting hurt, you know, are slim to none. But if you're hiring a subcontractor to take down a tree and they're an arborist and they got guys working in aerial lifts, it's gonna be a lot more expensive and they need to have that coverage. And is the insurance coverage current? Make sure that you um, call the insurance company and verify it. When they give you that certificate of insurance, it's gonna have the insurance company's name, address and stuff on it. Call them, make sure that the policy is in effect. all right now we're going to talk about what is a bond and basically a surety bond is a risk transfer mechanism between a surety bond company the contractor and the project owner now what we are supposed to have as north carolina licensed landscape contractors is the surety bond for ten thousand dollars prior to even applying and reinstating or renewing our license they are going to want to see that we are bonded for $10,000 with a surety bond company. Now, you're gonna have to pre-qualify uh, for uh, the bond. They're gonna check you out financially. They're gonna check your credentials. They're gonna just check you out with a pretty good, um, pretty good comb over and make sure that you are worth uh, giving the bond to. Now, um, and basically, it, again, it pre-qualifies an individual or a contracting company uh, on the projects that they are actually looking into. And the surety bond is often required by law for public projects. It is referred to as a statutory bond. And so the owner of a private construction project may also opt to require a bond as an added guarantee that a project will be completed on time, on budget, and with its specified requirements. Uh, these private construction bonds are sometimes referred to as common law bonds and guys it's a part of doing business again you're going to have to have insurance in place and you're going to have to have bonds in place now we are required to have a surety bond as both a landscape and irrigation contractor in the state of north carolina but there are also going to be other bonds that we may have to have if we are bidding on larger projects now again This is probably going to separate the bigger companies from the small operators. It's going to be um, cost prohibitive for an individual or a sole proprietor to actually bid on some of these jobs because of what's required in the bond. Um, Bond language, the total dollar amount required for the bond, it's generally set as a percentage of the estimated cost. Now, you know, we're having a surety bond just to have the landscape and irrigation license ten thousand dollars but some of these bonds or the owners may require that the bond be up to a hundred percent of the estimated cost of construction so let's say you're bidding on a hundred fifty thousand dollar landscape installation I've seen that happen all the time guys that's that's kind of small if you think about uh, if you're in the commercial uh, landscape contracting business where you're actually bidding on projects all the time you know that doesn't doesn't take you long to become um, Uh, a company that's doing several million dollars a year when you're working on projects like this and what the owners may require is that you uh, have a bond in place for the entire hundred and fifty thousand dollars Now that's gonna cost you, that's gonna cost some money, but it's part of doing business. Um, So that is the dollar amount required for the bond, the length of the bond. Usually Required for a fixed rate of time following the project milestone after which the bond is released. Um, For performance bonds, this is usually after completion and final approval of the project. Um, Requirements for notice or defect of lack of maintenance, this is a period of completion of corrections generally outlined after a notice of defect. The bond will also establish a time period for response from the bonding company if the contractor fails to meet the obligations of the contract. And then bond enforcement. If the contractor does not successfully complete all required work or violates any requirement of the bond, the enforcement measures are outlined to ensure project completion and proper maintenance. Now, we were doing a large job for um, UNCG. It was in excess of probably, it was was well over 100, uh, where we did... um, We did turf grass pavers we installed pavers um, that fire trucks could drive around the new student union and so uh, they had to get fire trucks all the way around the new building but they didn't want like roads doing it so we did it with grass paver installations and we did you know irrigated the whole site there Uh, we were using three inch main line Uh, so that tells you how big of the project that it was uh, I don't know how many hundred thousands of hypericum we planted as ground cover uh, for that project. Um, I mean, it was just crazy. It was just a crazy big job that uh, you know took us almost a month to complete, but it was a good project to do. Um, but on that project, they had a general contractor that was only responsible for the structure. Now, they also set it up that the HVAC and electrical contractor were set up as general contractors as well because typically on a large project like that there is one head general contractor. They're overseeing the entire project but the way the college wanted to do it was that the building contractor or main general contractor only looked after the the construction of the building, the grounds, irrigation, and all other subcontractors, except electrical and HVAC. Those were two separate contracts, whereas those, both the electrical and HVAC contractor acted as a general contractor and had their own GC license, more than likely, to do that project. Now, what had happened was that the first electrical contractor went belly up. They couldn't handle the work. That was a huge project. They went belly up and so the bond the performance bond was um, enacted and the performance bond company had to hire another company to come in and finish the project and guarantee that it got done on time and so the bond company had to pay a big big chunk of money to that new electrical contractor to come in and finish it and they went after the original contractor for for defaulting on um, the obligation to that bond so guys if you default on a bond you're pretty much done you're never going to get bonded again you're probably never going to get a, another state license you're you're pretty much done so what this is doing it guarantees to the owner that you're going to complete and finish the project on time and that all your bills are paid so that there's no liens on the property and things of that nature. So we are talking about types of bonds. The performance bond guarantees that the contractor will complete a contract within its time frame and conditions. Now, you may have budgeted six weeks on a large landscape job. The builder might come to you when it's your time to start working. You got two weeks. You bust a move and you get it fixed. But That performance bond guarantees that you will get it done um, within its time frame. The payment bond guarantees subcontractors and suppliers that they will be paid for the work if they perform property or uh, perform it properly under the contract. So, guys, you hire people to work for you, subcontractors, or you buy materials for the job, the the payment bond guarantees that they're going to get paid. Maintenance bond guarantees that for a stated period, typically for one year, no defective workmanship or material will appear uh, in the completed project. So it's kind of like your warranty period. And then a completion bond provides assurance to the financial backers of a construction project that it will be completed on time. Now, have you ever heard of contractors paying penalties for not finishing on time? They may be upwards of 10,000 or more dollars per day that the construction project is not finished on time. So that's why these builders push, push, push for the subcontractors to get in there probably way before they need to, to make sure that they are delivering the project on time and hopefully ahead of schedule. A fidelity bond covers business owners from losses due to dishonest acts by employees. A lien bond guarantees that liens cannot be placed against the owner's property by contractors for payment of services. That bond allows Allow someone to bond around a labor or materials mechanics lien. The subcontractor bond protects the general contractor in the event that the subcontractors does not fully perform the contract and or pay for the labor and materials. And so you may require that your subcontractors be bonded. And then a bank letter of credit. It's not a bond, but is a cash guarantee to the owner. It's not a guarantee of performance, but it can be converted to a payment to the owner by a bank or lending institution. And it typically does not cover 100% of the project, but is usually anywhere from five to 10% of the contract. And so what that is, you, know, you walk out or something happens, you know, the owner can get cashed uh, to actually finish the uh, project. Now qualifying for a bond, again, good references, meet current and future obligations, experience matching um, contract requirements, necessary equipment to complete the work, if that you're financially stable, that you have good credit, and that you've established bank relationships with lines of credit. That is what's going to get you qualified for the bond. And the bonds are priced on the basis of the percentage of contracts amount. Now, bond claims, you know, guys, that's going to get ugly. That's when uh, construction law and contractual relationships um, come into effect. Uh, The filing process is outlined in the bond language for common law bonds, and then government statutes outline the filing process for statutory bonds. Project changes. Unless um, outlined in the bond agreement, the surety company will not cover changes to the original contract. So change orders and stuff like that, it kind of just doesn't cover it. Uh, Payment in the event of default. If the contractor defaults, the surety bond has several options. They may provide additional financing for the contractor to finish the product. They arrange for a new contractor or hire subcontractors to complete the work, or they can pay out the amount of the bond. Now, I'm sure they would rather uh, help you finish the project than to actually pay out on it. Now, laws governing bonding of federal construction projects. Now, the Miller Act... Uh, is the current law requiring performance and payment bonds on all federal construction projects valued at greater than a hundred thousand. You're gonna have to have it. Um, you know the Miller Act replaced the um, the Hurd Act which was enacted in 1894 and so what it is is protecting the government uh, from a contractor defaulting on the contract and so that the sum of the payment bond varies based on the size of the contract Uh, 50% of the contract amount for projects less than 1 million, 40% of the contract amount for projects between 1 million and 5 million, and then 2.5 million payment bond for contracts in excess of $5 million. And so they're making sure that the federal projects are being built and that the contractors um, stay in business long enough to complete the project. The Construction Industry Payment Protection Act of 1999 um, made several amendments to the Miller Act of 1935. Its purpose was to improve payment bond protection for persons who furnish labor or material for use on federal construction projects. Uh, This law was passed because the bonding amount specified in the Miller Act may not provide subcontractors with adequate protection. Uh, So the general contractor of a project generally must obtain a payment bond in the amount that is equal to the total value of the federal contract unless the lesser amount is specified by the contracting officer. Subcontractors are permitted to notify contractors of intent to sue by any means which provides written third-party verification of delivery. And then waivers of the Miller Act payment bond protections are void before the work begins. That means any waiver of a subcontractor's right to sue on a payment bond must be in writing, signed, and executed after the subcontractor has either brought materials to the job site or furnished labor for the project. Now laws governing bonding of North Carolina state public construction projects. State public projects meeting the following criteria require the contractor to obtain a performance and payment bond which exceeds uh, jobs that exceed 300,000. The contractor or construction manager contracts exceeds 50000 on the project. And then State Department, State agencies, and University of North Carolina and its constituent institutions require a performance and payment bond if the total amount of the construction cr- contracts awarded for any project exceeds 500000 Guys, that doesn't take long when you're hiring every single type of contractor for a construction project. 500000 is cheap. So you're basically going to have to get it. And so, guys, that is you know a lot of information to help you reduce your risk um, when it when it comes time to running your own business i hope it doesn't scare a lot of you um, because i'd love to see each and every one of you guys run your own green industry business whether it is a, a nursery or greenhouse operations or you become the full service landscape contractor uh, don't be afraid of this i embrace regulation i embrace laws because they're not only there to protect the health welfare and safety of the public, they're also there to protect you, the contractor, just like opportunity has arisen for me to do irrigation jobs in Wake County and Raleigh. Nobody wants to do it because of all the regulations, man. I read the regulations. I'm like, I mean, it's not that bad. Just do what the county's asking you to do. Yes. It's going to cost more for the homeowner. But if they want the irrigation job, they have to pay for it. I'm not running from it. I'm running to it. Government, tell me what you want me to do. I will do it. The homeowners got to pay for it. Now, I'm not going to do all. Nobody in their right mind would do all that's required and just say, nah, I'm, you know, I'll do that for free. No, everything that you do, anything worth doing is worth doing for money and so people complain about license people complain about insurance people complain about bonds my gosh people they're there to help you they're there to help our clients and they're there to help you as the business owner embrace it do what you need to do don't be the one person show that doesn't have a license that doesn't pay insurance that's not a legitimate business There's a difference between being an entrepreneur and the successful entrepreneur. Doing things the right way should always be the way that you go. Get the license, get the bond, get the insurance, and I'll see you in the next lecture.